you are listening to another tale from the Mage's Den, the podcast for the Common Tongue magazine. Reign of Bones by Elena Gomel, narrated by Carl Walmsley. It rained bones today. Helena stood on the porch listening to the dry clacking of metacarpals and femurs on the parched grounds, cream-coloured bits puddling in hollows or stacking up in untidy little piles. The sky was grey and dispirited, blanketed with the pall of dust from the Midbar Desert, but the bone cloud stood out against it like a puffy yellow slug, releasing its load of the dead upon the farmstead. Polina squeezed the chipped rail, staring at the whiteness of her knuckles under the skin, imagining the cloud sucking her bones up into the sky like a child gulping a mouthful of porridge. Not that there was any porridge left, or any children. Paul ran to the house, holding a jute sack spread over his head. Polina yelled at her twin not to be an idiot. Even though the rain seemed to consist mostly of small, disarticulated bones, there was no guarantee that a larger piece would not end this display of the cloud's power with the flourish of a kill. But Paul successfully navigated the courtyard and jumped up onto the porch. The twins stood in silence, watching the bone rain peter out in much the same fashion as a regular rain. The intervals between falling pieces grew longer, the staccato noise of impacts gradually diminished, and finally all was silence. The cloud was gone, crawling back towards the ghostly peaks of the jagged mountains faintly outlined against the dusty sky. We need to clean up the yard, Melina finally said. Paul did not react. He slouched back into the house and she could hear the clinking in the kitchen where he rummaged among the bottles of home brew that their father had set aside for the spring festival. Just a couple of months ago by the calendar, but millennia ago in experience, when there had been certainty that the spring festival would come and there would be celebrations attended by the other inhabitants of the valley, when there had been other inhabitants of the valley, when they still had father. Feeling as achy as a woman twice her age, Polina went back into the house, telling herself that they could gather the bones tomorrow. It made no difference. The fields were dead, killed by the prolonged droughts that had preceded the coming of the clouds. The animals had been slaughtered. Only a couple of lethargic chickens pecked at the dust, awaiting their turn on the butcher's block. The farm that had fed multitudes, sending its produce to several towns outside the valley, could no longer feed its two remaining children. Paul slumped at the table. Her big brother. Only ten minutes difference between them, but enough to cement the hierarchy. He the protector, she the protected. He strong, she delicate. He the necessary one, the heir. She, the addendum, the afterthought, the postscript. 
the postscript that had killed their mother. Did you look at the grimoires today? she asked. It felt unnatural to inquire openly about his studies in conjuration. Unseemly. Their father believed that conjuration was not for women. She used to spy on Paul's lessons, guilt eating her like acid as she watched father and son pore over the worn-out volumes, mispronouncing the harsh syllables of the old tongue. But now, it was a matter of survival. She had to ask. He shrugged listlessly. It was as if his large frame was being hollowed out, collapsing in upon itself. They looked alike, but he was taller and broader than she. And yet, she was told at birth it was her, the female, who had been too big for their mother's depleted body, causing it to bleed out. Helena pumped water. Fortunately, despite the droughts, there was still some left in the well, and set about cooking a couple of shriveled potatoes. Paul stirred from his home brew induced slumber, and they sat down to dinner. Helena stared out the window at the starless, dust veiled sky. Night was the only time when it was safe to leave the curtains open. Night clouds travelled higher than their daytime counterparts. Day clouds often crawled so close to the ground that they enveloped the farmhouse in their clammy substance. Night clouds also seemed to be fewer in number, which, of course, brought back the same worn-out conversation they had been having every morning. We can try tomorrow, she said. Paul did not lift his head, shoveling boiled potatoes into his mouth. She noted with a shudder of distaste that his fingernails were filthy. She was trying to keep herself clean by having a sponge bath every evening. Dirt was what the clouds wanted them to sink into, seeking to turn them into a pair of frightened animals, like mice or voles hiding underground when giants walked above them. Paul! What? he responded, barely lifting his head. His eyes were bloodshot, the eyelashes clotted with bone dust. Did you hear what I said? Come on, Sis, he drawled. Even the rancour with which he had rejected her previous suggestions was gone. You know we'll never make it. He was right, of course. Since the coming of the clouds, Escape had been the only thing on the minds of the inhabitants of the valley, which in addition to the plentiful farm of their family, comprised a small tenant farmstead and the workers' barracks. People had tried. First, a large group of farmhands who had sneaked out under the cover of darkness. Then the Yakar family, with four adults and five children. And finally, whoever had tried it was dead. The problem was that the only exit from the valley was through the Mavar Pass in the jagged mountains, and the mountains were the breeding ground of the clouds. Even as day clouds nested down to sleep, night clouds went prowling at higher altitudes, looking down without eyes, tracking down their prey without hearing, and yet always striking with infallible precision. And even if the twins could be shielded by the dark, they had almost no hope of reaching the pass before the break of dawn when day clouds would stir and awaken. They had no horses left. 
The gnat cloud had taken care of them early, releasing swarms of blood-sucking insects that maddened the horses in their paddock until they broke out and ran away. We need to try, Lena said stubbornly. Otherwise, otherwise we'll be dead soon, like two mice mummified in a dark corner of the barn. She did not say it. Paul got up and almost fell, clutching the table for support. You're just bored, sis, he said. Don't worry, we'll have something new tomorrow. Maybe it'll rain blood. It did not. It rained roses. The cloud that slowly crawled across the colourless sky was different from the others. It was pink and fluffy like a serving of sherbet. It was pretty in a little girl's kind of way. And Polina studied it with something approaching hope. It had been so long since she saw anything pretty. The cloud stopped its crawl, and its underbelly bulged and split with a wavering fissure, and then a cascade of flowers rained upon the bones-littered courtyard, the dead air filled with a sweet scent. Helena's mouth fell open as she watched blossoms and petals float onto the ground, weaving a carpet of beauty. Bones from yesterday were swiftly covered by heaps of fresh roses, red, pink, magenta. Paul staggered onto the porch, bleary-eyed, and watched the rain of roses in silence. And then the heaps of roses stirred and heaved like a pregnant woman's belly. Running together into a mass of viscous colour, the rose petals dissolved and fused. The sweet smell grew until it became so overpowering that Polina's eyes watered and her breath stuck in her throat. The puddles of rose petals bubbled until something sharp pierced the surface of one, and then another, and another. The dry bones buried under the fusion of flowers stood up and clattered around, searching for their counterparts. A skeletal hand seized a humerus. A skull rolled into a pelvis. Misshapen collections of bones stumbled and staggered around, splashing in the flower liquid. The liquid crawled up their random parts, clothing them with a semblance of flayed flesh. Roses burst out of empty eye holes, prickly stems twined around naked bones. Rome, Polina yelled, grasping Paul's hand. The farmhouse had a deep cellar that in better times was used to store canned vegetables and fruit wine. The shelves were bare now, but the cellar still provided shelter. The twins crouched in the dark, breathing in the yeasty smell of yesteryear food, while the rose-clad bone assemblages rampaged through the house. Eventually, they fell asleep in the dark. She remembered her happiness three months ago when she had awakened and saw that the light streaming through the window was dim and shadowless. Polina threw on some random clothes and rushed outside, buoyed by anticipation. Rains were finally coming. 
The valley had been devastated by persistent drought. Her father's deep-etched lines mirrored the cracks in the desiccated soil. The rose garden, where she and Paul had played as children, was an expanse of sticks. Cows were emaciated, their udders dry. The Yakar family had handed in their notice. Even some of the servants and farmhands were leaving, shamefacedly or brazenly, telling her father that the plentiful farm was doomed. Now, for the first time in ages, she did not have to squint to look up at the sun. It was a white disc in the flat white sky, and billows of dark clouds were advancing toward the farmhouse. People were already in the courtyard, staring at the sky expectantly. Marta the cook, Evan the shepherd, and her father. Paul was still asleep. The first thing that struck her was the strange odour in the air, bitter and burning with a metallic undernote. She looked at Marta and regretted it later. Marta had been her nurse after her mother's death, and she wanted to remember the cook's round, wrinkled face lit by a smile or with a twinkle in her eye. The image in her mind was now frozen in the permanent expression of abject fear. There was no wind. The air was dead, as if they were inside a locked room rather than outdoors. But the clouds were moving swiftly, blotting half the sky with the bruise-coloured shadow. Back inside, Polina, father commanded. And she obeyed, but instead of going back to her own room, she crouched in the doorway, observing what was happening. The clouds stopped moving when they were centred precisely above their farm, plunging it into a sickly twilight. Paul poked his dishevelled head out the window. All inside, father yelled, just as a roll of thunder broke the silence, and Polina sighed in relief. It was just a dry thunderstorm. Disappointing, of course, because they needed rain, but still, only a natural phenomenon. And then the clouds released their cargo. Roiling clumps of dense fog hit the ground, suspended for a second in the in-between shapelessness of possibility, and then settling into crude approximations of human and animal forms. Mist-coloured men, with mismatched limbs and blank eyes, hobbled towards the knot of people in the courtyard. Embryonic lambs, with a single horn protruding from their lopsided heads, cavorted until they dissipated into puffs of smoke. Five-legged cows and giant three-legged chickens ran blindly along the fence. They were crude wavering effigies, not quite solid, so that Polina, yelling for the people to come in, still felt that they could plough through. One of them did, her father. He stumbled in, his face blooded, his clothes in shreds. The rest of them were out in the puce light, feasted upon by the fog creatures. They acquired a momentary solidity when they sucked their victims dry, eyeless faces flushed with colour, fog animals' ragged hides bloomed with piebald patches. But the solidity did not endure for long. 
The cloud creatures still roiled and seethed and lost chunks of their substance as they prowled the now empty courtyard, where only clumps of bones testified what had just happened. And then they dissipated into the thin air, leaving behind the acrid stench of burnt metal. After the rain of roses, the clouds left them alone for a couple of days. Helena climbed into the attic and watched the jagged mountains using her grandfather's old spying glass. The peaks were obscured by a dirty pall. Clouds were up to something, moving around, coalescing into a giant mega cloud and then breaking apart into a multitude of scurrying little puffs. Flashes of lightning clove the churning murk. Polina was spellbound. Understanding the nature of the clouds had become her obsession, not just because it offered the only chance of escaping, but also because it made her feel like something more than a hunted beast. She concluded that the clouds were alive, but not in the manner of men or animals. They were not individuals. Their nature was fluid and unbounded. They stole identity from their victims, but could not keep it for long. They were malicious and destructive, as fickle as ordinary clouds. If so, why were they laying siege to their valley? Why wouldn't they just move on? to the plain of Mishaw and the capital city of Grad. What was here to compel them to remain? She went to Paul's room, but he was not there. His grimoires lay scattered on the floor, and Polina grimaced at this disrespect. Paul had explained to her that the spell words created a temporary bond of sympathy between the speaker and the object of his desire so he could reshape the material world by changing its image in his mind. It was hard work and required self-control, precision and focus, qualities that women did not have or did not have enough of, he said. And yet here he was, as slovenly as the laziest wench. The grimoires were written in the old tongue, which she had not been taught but it was close enough to the vernacular that she could understand some words. She was puzzling over a paragraph that seemed to describe how to turn a sick cow into a swan when Paul walked in. He was drunk. He lunged for the book, but lost his balance and sprawled on the floor. Polina leapt aside, clutching the grimoire to her chest. She watched him scrabble on the floor like an overturned beetle. You can stay here and have the rat cloud gnaw on your bones, she spat at him. I'm leaving. Give it back to me, yelled hoarsely. What for? If you were a real man, you'd try to use conjuration to dispel the clouds. Paul sat up and lifted his face, so like her own, towards Polina. A crooked smile crawled across his features. Conjuration has been used, sis, he said. We see the results. What do you mean? Why do you think the clouds are here? It rained frogs this evening. 
Not wispy fog eidolons, but actual frogs. Warty green and grey things that fell with a splat and left disgusting smears of pale ichor on the cobblestones. Either the clouds were getting better at imitating living things, or they had picked up the frogs somewhere else and dumped them on the valley in a spiteful attempt at revenge for what Paulina's father had done to them. He wanted to end the drought, Paul had said, to bring rain, so he had conjured up clouds. These are not rain clouds. This is what conjuration does. It gives you not your desire, but your reflection. Not what you want, but what you are. She did not understand it. Not then. Not until Paul told her about the only successful conjuration their father had performed in his entire life. She sat in her room, staring out the window with empty eyes. There was another cloud forming above the peaks, but it was too far away for her to make out its colour or shape. We wanted twins, Paul had said. Perfectly matched boy and girl, who would ensure that the farm thrived with a new generation of heirs. So he performed a conjuration. And it worked out. A pair of healthy, beautiful, bouncing twins. She, Polina, was not an accident. She was part of her father's plan. A plan that killed her mother. Perhaps her mother's body was flawed in some fundamental way. Other women bore twins, even triplets, and survived. Conjuration gives you not what you want, but what you are. Father had always told them how much he loved their mother. He had never remarried. If he had had affairs with servants or dairymaids, it was so discreet that the twins suspected nothing. Perhaps it is easier to love a memory than a woman. Every autumn festival, they would attend their mother's grave. Beautiful orphans in their cute, matching outfits, laying bouquets of late roses on the tombstone. And then they would go back home, their father holding them by their hands, beaming with pride as his tenants and neighbours admired his perfect little family. Conjuration is like poking the silt at the bottom of the river, Paul had said. You never know what you'll bring up. Maybe a fish, maybe a golden ring, or maybe a dead man's bone. Their father had poked the silt at the bottom of his mind. Clouds came through. Helena tried to read some more of the grimoire that Paul had left behind, gave it up. The words felt broken and stony on her tongue. She went to the coop and twisted the neck of the last chicken. On her way back to the house, she peered at the jagged mountains. A cloud was forming on the downslope, spilling into the valley like ink. It was fat-bellied and pregnant with blue darkness. Helena thought it might be a ghost cloud. It rained screaming faces grasping many-fingered hands and stomping feet. It was not as dangerous as the wraith cloud that had decimated their household on that first day, because the ghosts it shared were incorporeal and could do little actual damage. They moaned and cried, and in their cries 
Alina heard familiar voices. She cooked chicken soup, knowing that the aroma would lure Paul out of his room. It did. He showed up looking deflated. After they ate, Polina put the closed grimoire before him. I am not using it, he muttered. No need. Just tell me what conjuration father used, and I'll do it myself. Don't you understand, Paul yelled. It's too late for both of us. Conjurations suck up everything inside of you. Guilt, regret, fear, darkness. They have to be done by people who are innocent. We are not. First drops of ghost rain slithered inaudibly down the window pane. Vague face torn by the hole of a screaming mouth pressed to the glass. How can my darkness be worse than that? Lena asked, but she knew the answer. Father had walked out of the house at sunset. That was before they knew about night clouds. The moon was a blotch of white against the graphite sky. He paused on the threshold, looking back at them. Maybe he expected to be called back. Maybe he thought one of his children would volunteer to go instead of him. He waited and then turned around and walked out of the farm. Their father's small figure disappeared down the dusty road leading to the pass. If he could escape the valley and scramble down into the Mishaw Plain, he could ask neighbouring villages for help. Or, if none was forthcoming, he could get a horse and gallop to Grad, where the king's soldiers would be ready. What was the use of having a sovereign with a standing army if he did not come to his subjects' rescue? They watched the seething movement on the peaks until they could see no more in the dark. And then there was a dry lightning, an indistinct thunder and a scream. The scream was human. The clouds were as silent as their natural counterparts. The twins rushed out into the courtyard and floating above them, carried in the grip of the scarlet cloud was their father, flailing and screaming, ragged tentacles coiled around him. They could hear his scream, but they could not see his face. He was too high up, so high that when they scurried back into the safety of the house and heard a dull thud of a body hitting cobblestones, they knew it was no use. And still, they might have held his hands as he lay dying. They might have received his last words. But they waited and waited. And in the morning, when there were no clouds in the sky, they buried him. Helena stood at the entrance to the pass, her father's old crossbow clutched in her hands. She knew how to use it because she had seen men do it. She also knew it was not going to help. Shooting at clouds was the very definition of folly. It was early morning. She had agonised when to leave until she realised it made no difference. The sky was veiled by the ever-present dust, but the clouds were gone, bedded down in their mountain eyries. For a moment, she wondered whether they had nests like birds and imagined a giant hollow filled with intertwined puffy clouds in all colours of the rainbow. 
the image was beguilingly beautiful. She had reached the highest point of the pass. She knew that beyond the next ridge, it would start its descent onto the plain, and the landscape of lowlands would unfold before her like a painting. The green of cultivated fields, the smoke from farmhouses, the moving dots of people and vehicles. Life. She hurried on. A rose-coloured tentacle of fog crawled from behind an outcropping, crossing the path in front of her like a snake. It was misty and insubstantial, steaming in the pale air. Lena stopped. A cloud rose from its lair. It was a small one, scalloped and fluted, coloured the pink of spun sugar. In its folds, the colour deepened into scarlet. It was very pretty, but the odour that tickled Polina's nostrils was acrid and stale, the smell of old blood and charred metal. She lifted her crossbow with one arrow in it and let it fly. It passed harmlessly through the airy body. The cloud swelled. Polina started the conjuration. The words of old tongue fell from her lips, misshapen and mispronounced, melted in the furnace of her desire as she groped for the elusive strands of sympathy. The cloud quivered. Its surface reshaped itself into a giant, many-petaled flower. It did not stop at that. As Polina hurled her conjuration at the sky behemoth, it shook and boiled with hidden life, melting and reconstructing itself into sketchy, eyeless faces, broken animal muzzles, a multitude of waving hands. And then it all melded together, and a new form began to take shape, puffy and distorted. The face of her twin brother was being sculpted out of the vapour. Paul's mouth was hanging open, his eyes closed but bulging from under his lids, his cheeks sagging as if he were an old man. It was the face of her brother, as she had found him last night, hanging from a noose in his room, an empty bottle of home brew on the floor. The cloud's giant mouth twitched as if it was trying to say something. The last goodbye? A blessing? A curse? Let me live, brother, she said. The cloud quivered like a pile of rose jelly, and then it started dissolving like sugar in water. The edges of the cloud roiled and steamed off, becoming tendrils and curlicues of mist, and finally blending with the morning air. In a couple of long heartbeats, all that blocked her path was an ordinary bank of fog. Polina rushed through. The clamminess beaded her skin with moisture. She did not care, running pell-mell down the path, seeing the green of cultivated fields and the red of farmhouses' roofs coming closer and closer, spreading out before her. No, they were spreading out below her. She backpedalled, trying to slow down, but it was useless. A gust of wind lifted her off her feet and she saw the bumpy surface of the past retreat. She was buffeted by draughts, as helpless as a swimmer caught in a strong current. 
She clenched her fingers in frustration, but she could not feel her hands. Her flesh was flowing and ebbing, painlessly thinning out, dissipating in elaborate streamlets and gauzy ribbons. She lifted her arm. The smoky coils flickered as the sunlight shone through it. The valley was passing below her, and she saw how small and cramped it was. Her childhood home, a rocky gauge in the mountains where generations of her forebears had scratched a living out of the dry soil. There was nothing there anymore. Perhaps there had never been. Her name was dripping down in droplets of pink. A name, a memory, a past. She reclined into the air and let herself be carried away by the wind. The pink coalesced into a shower of rose petals. Childhood games in the blooming orchard with her twin. Late roses on her mother's tombstone. The colour deepened into scarlet. My father's blood on the cobblestones. She wanted to cry herself into a rain that would bring life to the parched land, but instead of dissolving into a spring shower, memories hardened and solidified. A rain of bones pattered upon the rock and the sand.